What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Anika Meff, and you're listening to another episode of When Matriarchs Gather. In today's episode, I had the brilliant Gabriela Quinte, Robin Maynard, and Shanice Nicole in for a live show on CKUT. We had a great time, talked about community, um, actionable ways in which we can engage in this world, and education. Uh, they're such knowledgeable people. I'm excited for y'all to listen to this episode. And if you want to catch us live on CKT next time, we have a wonderful collaboration with the Groundbreakers, where we're there every first Wednesday of the month at 2 p.m. And of course, be sure to check out the Groundbreakers every week, Sundus Abduladi, and the Narcissist, killing it every week. You should definitely tune in. Enjoy this episode, y'all. What's up, y'all? You're listening to CKT 90.3 FM, The Groundbreakers. My name is Danika Mef, and I am your host for the day. I'm here on a monthly, first month, first Wednesday of the month. I'm here doing a collaboration with uh, The Groundbreakers. I normally host a podcast called When Matrix Gather, um, which is a really fun um, space where we get to share community, um, we get to speak about practice, speak about where we are in the world, and all of those wonderful things. And I invite some dope matriarchs to come and um, share space with me. And today, I got three matriarchs going to be in the space with me. I'm really excited. Right now, we have Shanice Nicole in the room. What's up, Nicole? <laughs> Nicole, <Hi>. Shanice. <laughs> How are you? We're good. I'm good. I'm super good. Um, we also have Gabriela Quintas, who's going to be joining us a little bit later, and Robin Maynard. Um, on the phone lines. Very excited. It's going to be a great show. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, since it's just you and me for the moment. Mm-hmm. A little intimate. <laughs> it. It's nice. It's kind of um, reminiscent of our last conversation. Yeah. I'm very excited to be with you again. Um, for those of you who don't know Shanice, Shanice is a black feminist educator, facilitator, um, writer, and outspoken word artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen you perform in the city. A lot of people have engaged with you either online or in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I guess that maybe not everyone knows this aspect of you, but you've organized a lot of things that people have probably engaged with in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is coming up tonight. Yep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Black Writers Congress? Sure. Um, so I'm wearing, I guess, two, always multiple hats, but I guess two hats right now. So here's Shanice Nicole, but also here's Shanice Yard. Yes, so what's Sh- up? Shanice Yard works at McGill University <laughs> as an equity education advisor. Uh, and I also coordinate Black History Month at McGill. And so we started with a really successful launch on Thursday, um, the 31st, it was beautiful and a packed house. And so we're just moving along with, with we have tons of events this month. So please check out our Facebook page, Black History Month at McGill. Um, so you can see this, the full schedule and all the events that we have planned. But tonight, I'm really, really excited because um, we're going to be organizing and hosting the commemoration of the Congress of Black Writers, which happened here at McGill in 1968. And so it's really, yeah, powerful to think about one that half a century has passed can you imagine and it feels like a blink Mm -hmm. of an eye i i I think especially for our community because so much so little 
has changed, I right. guess. Totally. Um, but if it like that's 50 years is, is a lot of years, yeah. you know, 50 years. Um, so that time piece, but then also just like the, the real like localness mm. of that history. I think often when we, um, when we engage in conversations around black history, they, they often don't feel local. Oh, for sure. Um, especially I think in a, in this particular context in Canada, where we often kind of turn to the U S as our source of history or information. And there's such a, a deep, deep history of blackness and black experience in this country. That's been t- completely, um, well, I shouldn't say it's been completely erased. There's been an attempt to completely erase it. Mm-hmm. So I really think of in particular, Dr. Dorothy Williams, yes. who will be on the panel tonight. So excited. Um, who has been like doing that work of, of being space for the lives and that history that's really been, uh, been pushed out in a lot of ways uh, to create space to talk about 50 years and here on this campus, um, exactly. half a century ago. And so, yeah, we're, we're pumped. Um, so loud. And so I know, um, <laughs> if you got a ticket, people know, man, cause in. like, yeah. um, but it's going to be beautiful i think as well just because we're really bringing in people from the community and for me that's always important is that um we are yeah building bridges and bringing people from outside of mcgill onto this campus and really making sure that they know that this is a space for them mm-hmm. and that they are just as much part of if not more part of like this history you know oh for sure yeah i'm so excited so um what so we have dr dorothy williams on mm-hmm. the panel um who else is going to be there yeah, so we, all, we have Dr. Dorothy Williams, um, Rodney St. Eloise, who's a black publisher in, mm. in the city. Um, really thrilled to have Elena Sudley, yes. who's going to be there. And also yes. going to be sharing some of the audio recordings from the Congress, which is so dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Senator Ann Cools is the other, the other panelist. Amazing. So we really have a um, pretty incredible lineup. And Pat Dylan Moore is going to be moderating. That's good. And it's really, um, I, I love the um, lining up of different, spaces in, mm-hmm. in this you know what i mean i feel like you know to have a senator to have a historian to have um an activist and musician and yeah. a publisher like that that's not usually what is um on a panel right like yeah. usually like we kind of get um funneled into these like categories mm-hmm. um and don't see how the work happens across the across the boards you know yeah and just really thinking about how especially in the context of like 50 years later like what are black folks doing and writing about and in what ways are, there, are, they, are they connecting with each other and more broadly. Um, so I think it's important that the people who um, are kind of part of this conversation and, and a lot of conversations are reflective of that wider community. Oh, for sure. Um, especially when it comes to like black writing, you mm. know, and, and like, yeah, the histories of, of storytelling in our in our community and our people. And so to be able to, like, honor that in this space and then again to to commemorate um, this particular local history feels really, uh, really powerful and important. So what, you know, for pe- for someone who's like listening in and has no sense of what the Congress of Black Writers was in 68, like, can you give us a little, uh, you know, journey down memory lane? Yeah, I may also deflect it back to you to invite you to, to teach me a little bit as well. Um, I mean, I know aspects. There's certain aspects that I know about the Congress. Um, right. So it's funny because it, it actually uh, one of the things about I feel about uh, being raised in Montreal and mm-hmm. being raised across many different black communities is that um, our storytelling is staggered. And there's like because there's kind of gaps um 
there's like there's like coalition and and like um a lot of uh meeting and gathering but there's also a lot of gaps and kind of holes and um displacement mm. and like we're spread out in a uh, we're spread th thin in a lot of ways yeah so um yeah so it's, i feel like it's kind of i'm creating the mosaic of what i think the uh, congress of black writers is mm -hmm. and or what montreal was in 19 like late 1960s like yeah. from yeah so from what i i know of the the congress um is that it was uh, kind of a, a very, it was an interesting time, late 60s in Montreal, where um, there was a, an uprising from a largely like Caribbean um, academics mm -hmm. and intellectuals, young, very young. And I think that that's what like really gets to me every time is how yeah. young these like powerhouses were, um, you know, like early 20s yeah, like mid 20s you know what i mean and they're there and they they created this space for themselves um to think together to collaborate to um do resistance to sit in mm -hmm. you know like we're also um at concordia celebrating commemorating the Sir george williams affair yep I just um, saw blackout. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so wow. there's all that going on, right? And uh and so from what I understood, it was this moment of like what how do we um like move together? Mm -hmm. Um and how do we like create a sense of um a canon and thought? Yeah. Um and so that we're it's not that our knowledges don't kind of just end up in the the void. Yeah. No, it was really about about like putting black liberation in the center and mm -hmm. then bringing people together. Um, so I believe it was either three or four days. It was over a weekend. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just, I just think about like, well, how powerful to have like black folks take up space like that. Yeah. Like uh, occupy McGill. McGill. Yeah. <laughs> but then also yeah. it's like an important reminder. Like we tend to think about, and this is again, the, like that complicated narrative of, of progress, mm -hmm. the assumption that progress is always linear. And so we have this, this idea that we've, um, that almost that, that the, the black presence or experience at McGill is say, is new mm. or hasn't always existed. It hasn't but been there. It's never it's occupied always space been before. There. Yeah. And there's, sure. and there, there's actually been, um, and I learned this last year during one of our events, I learned that at a point there were so many black profs at McGill, mm. you know, and a considerable amount of black students. And so I think that's really important to like complicate that narrative of, of progress that makes us think that like, you know, well, we're always improving. Well, yeah, um, for sure. Like, well, what, what happened to make that shift so that now our numbers, you know, and so I think that's important that we are able to like have space for those conversations and questions. Yeah. Well, wh what was it that you were teaching me the last time we spoke together um, about the professor who'd been uh, the longest uh, tenured? Mm, um, professor Pickett. Yes. And yeah, Glenn Pickett. Like, and I feel like that's, you know, it's like these stories that in, in our mind, it's like, I feel like now we kind of think of like a tenure tracked uh, black professor, like, whoa, like mm. that's never been like never happened, never like it, never been celebrated, never been appreciated, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's because our stories are hidden, you know, like there's yeah. so many aspects, there's so many chapters that are kind of forgotten about. Um, yeah, no, and I just and think strategically about so. how do we like name and honor the black folks who have been here and doing that work. So mm -hmm. Professor Pickett, who's been here since the early 70s. Yeah. And Professor Adele Blackett in law, Professor Charmaine Nelson, who, of course, is teaching art history and just got back from Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, so we have this like beautiful, beautiful, um, long and old history of black people at this institution 
taking up space and creating space and um, challenging those narratives and, and really like laying the groundwork for like us to be here. You yeah, know? For so sure. for me, that's really important to name and um, yeah, just to express gratitude for these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Real deep gratitude. Yes. Oh, man, I'm really excited for that. I personally did not get a ticket yet because, see, this is one of the things about being a mom is mm-hmm. that you're always hesitant about what is a it's like your possibility. That's so right. I can't. I can't claim that I know this, but I can oh, But it's, it's literally. Moment. I'm like. I'm like. Should I? Should I sign up? I don't want to. You know. I don't want to take someone else's spot if I'm not going to actually be able to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I hesitated too many times, and then now there's no many yeah. spots. But I'm. I'm gonna be at the door. And I would. Somebody, I would say come to the door because especially no this weather outside, mm-hmm. there are gonna be some no shows, and and I will be there. Yeah. Whoever knows shows, yeah, yeah, I appreciate exactly. you because I want to get into that space. Um, oh, Gabriela yeah. is in the studio with Hi. us bonjour bonjour ça va bien ça va bien merci oh thank you for making it up the hill to join us i appreciate you so much the weather ain't nice to us yeah. thank you for inviting me <laughs> so for those of you who don't know gabriela quinte is the librarian and founder of librerie um, i actually like the word libraire a lot better than librarian i feel like it's it doesn't encapsulate as much of what mm. the word libraire means. Um, but yes, so Gabriela is here with us. Um, we're also going to have Robin Maynard on in a couple of minutes. But right before we do that, um, I just wanted to ask you, Gabriela, what did you bring for the Congress of Black Writers? So what do you have? Can you give us a little uh, sample of some of the stuff that you have with you? Of course, I got uh, Robin Menard books, both French and English, because I think like it's uh, one of the greatest books that's been uh, released this last year, and that every um, people should read it, and that especially for Black History Month, it's like a must Mm -hmm. to get this book, because I feel like there's a lot of uh, work being done. and a lot of research. Sorry, yeah, English is not my first no, language. You never <laughs> have to apologize <laughs> not for at all. colonial languages. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it's a must-read for this Black History Month, and uh, I can't wait uh, for for her to come and uh, to talk about um, the her work. Mm. Amazing! I'm so glad. Okay, we're gonna go to a quick ad and um, track break. Uh, I actually forgot to mention earlier that the opening track we started was was called Trois from Riva Nari Priscil, who I'm like I'm addicted to right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like this album came out in 2015, but it like recently showed up into my world, and I'm I can't stop listening to it. So we're gonna listen to another track from her called Shitala. And then I will get Robin on the lines with us and we're going to have this wonderful round table of matriarchs just killing the game. Enjoy, y'all. And we're back. What's up, y'all? You're listening to The Groundbreakers on CKUT 90.3 FM. I'm your host, Anik MF. It is 2.22 p.m. I got a full house. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, Robin, are you on the line with us? I'm right here. Amazing. Hi, Robin. <laughs> Hi guys. Um, I do. I want to do a quick intro for you because um, I, I mean I, we kind briefly talked about you before you were here, but let's like name you and your and your presence here. Um, for those of you who don't know, 
Robin Maynard is an amazing, amazing, amazing <laughs> black feminist writer, activist, uh, community organizer, um, educator, and um, very well known for being the author of Poli Policing Black Lives, State Violence in Canada from Slavery to Present. Oh, my goodness. So excited to have you all in this space. It's um, you are all three amazing. Um, actually, I started the show with uh, a track called Trois Fey. And um, Trois Fey is, is, is a old Haitian song that's been around for years. And one of the lyrics is um, Trois Fey, Trois Racineaux, J'étais oublié. Uh, which loosely translates to three leaves, three roots. To throw down is to forget and to gather is to remember. And for me, I, I just feel like um, I wanted to gather you all and remember the work that you're doing, um, remember the legacy of the work that you're doing. And I really do feel like you... you the, this gathering is um, is kind of this trifecta of being rooted in... Um, resistance and progress and education um i'm i'm so honored to be with you guys all today it's really really special for me so thank you for wow. coming to this inv invitation and uh, i'm excited to get into this conversation with y'all thank you all of all of you really i'm so glad to be chatting with you all today mm -hmm. i wish you were here robin me too. I give you a hug. I, I don't know why. I was just like, oh my God, Robin's going to be here today. I was like, we're going to take a selfie. <laughs> I was like, oh yes. I wish, I wish, I wish. Oh, yes, I forgot. <laughs> For sure. We miss you. Okay, so some of the, I, there's so many things that I would love to talk to about with you all, but um, I guess that I wanted to think about education and the different forms of education that exist in this world. Um, and kind of throw out a, a question to you all of what does education mean for you? And then also, how do you feel like education shows up in your own work? Because I feel like um, educator is kind of the, the name that floats around all of you and, and you participate in the education of this world. So, yeah, I'd love to hear where, where you guys stand on all that. Who wants to start? You start, Gabriela. Oh yeah, my you God. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it's really a, a great question, and um, it had it has me thinking a lot because when you when you presented me, you said like that I was a li librarian, and that there's a lot of um, people and in institutions that don't consider me as such mm. because I don't have like I didn't make like the studies and things like that, mm. so. Um, and that's what I see for a lot of um, people of color. They don't necessarily have the, the the big title and things like that, but their their work and their the education and the dedication is really big. And what they do for the community is really big, but they don't have like the the diplomas and things like that. Mm. But not all. Some some do. Some do. But there's a lot of that don't, and their their work is not re recognized as much as the the others but i think that education for me is also uh, about uh, healing and mm. teaching and learning from each other and that it's what's going to um, help us grow as a c community 
and um, I'm gonna let <laughs> the 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 others uh, and I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That's a that's a beautiful way to enter the, yeah. this conversation, though. I I really feel like healing is so so important in our particular uh, um, education. And I think that you speak about this, Shanice, a lot, this idea of unlearning. And I feel like healing and unlearning kind of happens, uh, or at least should happen in parallel. Yeah, totally. Um, you want to go, Robin? Sure. Um, first of all, Gab, I really love what you said. And I think this is a great question. Yeah. I mean, when I really think about education and what it means outside of, you know, I think the ways that we think about, as Gab had pointed out, how some kinds of education are seen as more valid than others, particularly, you know, access to university, Mm. having a doctor in front of your name. That's not the kind of education I mean. I'm really thinking about education as a tool that we have all collectively used um, to try to free ourselves, right, as kind of a way to orient ourselves toward freedom. So I think about, you know, the fact that it used to be illegal, in many parts of the world for enslaved people to be able to read, right? Because of what that kind of knowledge gives us and that kind of, uh, the danger that it's always posed mm. to the very racist ordering of things, the way that we've always used and sought that knowledge and passed it on to our kids and to the children of our friends to make sure that we have access to that kind of knowledge that gives us, I think, the strength to really uh, go up against the kinds of forces that we're seeing today. And I think that some of the most powerfully brilliant and educated people I've seen, I think we just really need to reorient reorient what that education could look like, because I think there's so many kinds of political consciousness and of world building and creating that are part of our communities all the time and of knowledge that we're passing through one another, through stories, um, you know, told over the dinner table and so many other ways in which uh, this ed- what this education means to us. I think that sometimes that can even be the opposite, particularly when we look at, you know, what I call in my book the miseducation of black youth in schools, the way that we're often treated in institutes of education can often really be the opposite of learning, mm. right? So I think we have ways of taking back what education means for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For ourselves, I should say. <clears throat> no, absolutely. Um yeah, y'all are so special. Uh, what do I want to add? Yeah, I um, I gave a a guest lecture this morning and on allyship, and so one of one of like my ground rules for like conversations and workshops is uh, no one knows everything, but together we know a lot. And so I, when I think about education, I think about um, as you said, uh, Robin, it really being like a tool. Um, and yeah, a tool for like bringing people together and for honoring like so many different forms and levels of knowledge. And I think that's so important, especially for me who, um, who's like navigating academia in this really particular way, but not, not, I don't know if I would, I don't think I would call myself an academic. Um, although I, 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 I got, you know, a degree at Concordia, but it's interesting to be in a space where academia is really like constructed in a specific way. And the, and the ideas of like knowledge and who knows and who's allowed to speak is also really constructed in, in a particular way that, that really links back to, um, like whiteness and the protection of that. And so I think about education as like an opportunity for all of us to share what we know and what we've been taught, um, and I think about creating space for people who are pushed out of those spaces. I think about honoring, you know, like the wisdom and knowledge of like my mother 
who isn't university educated and probably wouldn't, you know, have all the language and all the terminology and know all the theory, but um, to teach people a thing or two, you know? And so I think about how do we like create spaces where, where people are, are one, acknowledged and recognized, um, but then also value, valued, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love so much of everything that you guys brought to the table. And I think that um, this is one of the reasons why I think when I look at the three of you, I feel um, I feel comforted and safe in the world. I feel that you are all um, like the spread of your work, whether that be because, uh, you know, the different mediums that you work with, right? Like, what does it mean to be a facilitator in a space and then to have a library of books and then to have... Um, an author, like, and, and like this tangible book that we can read, mm-hmm. um, like all, like just even on the, on a medium level, I feel like you guys have this large spectrum of, uh, spread. And then also in terms of like the spaces in the world, whether that be, um, online space or, um, like in our minds, in our intimacy, like when we read, it's very, it's a one-on-one experience. Mm-hmm. Um, going to a bookstore is a very is like a more of a communal experience right you can speak to a librarian um, you, there's there's so many things that you guys do and um, I think that I think of the work that you guys do as being these really strong parallels to each other and that it um, and it really reinforces our community our lar- larger community and I was wondering if this is just something I'm seeing um, kind of being away from it or if parallel work and um, or even joint work is something that's central to the way that you guys move in the world? I mean, I have so much love and respect for the work of these two women that I feel that, you know, even when we're not working collectively, even when we're not in the same city, there's so much of it that's going on the same, um, you know, towards the same I guess, framework, which is really liberation, right? Like the beautiful space that Gabriella has managed to create that creates and holds space for so many people uh, and has become, you know, such an important anchor, mm-hmm. I think, and a way of thinking about a home that we can find there, right? Of a creating a home for all of us. And similarly, I mean, ever since I met Shanice and first heard her speak, I mean, Shanice, almost every time I speak in public, I still quote you, mm-hmm. right? So I feel that really there's like a sense of collaboration to me that feels uh, continual. Mm. yeah no thank you yeah I think about just yeah like that idea of collaboration and creating links and infrastructure and so like to think that you know if I want I can incorporate teachings from Robin's book that I bought through Resins you know like I just think what that means um, for us now but then also for like future generations that like we have just access and we're opening up doors um, that, yeah, like in a, in a way have, have always been like at reach or possible or even, or even there. When I, again, think about like that history of things that have existed that no longer do. And so to be careful that we're not kind of erasing that history. Um, but yeah, I mean, this like to me, like this is the work, you know, to know that like there's this black owned bookstore that's so local, that's so close. Um, and then you and then you have people like Robin who are creating and documenting like our history, you know, and it's by us and for us. And I think that is like absolutely transformative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'd like to thank uh, both Shanice and uh, Robin. Robin that <clears throat> wrote a book that I sell and that um, it's distributed by um, the French version. It's mm. from uh, Memoir d'Ancrier that a Haitian man started. So by buying this book at Racine, you support like three black <laughs> black people of Canada. And I would like to thank of also Shanice that also, um, also take the time to always invite me to events and support. I have, and an I, I have another one for yes, you. Yes, <laughs> and ask me how, she, just, she don't just invite me, she also asks me how I'm, uh, how I'm doing and things like that. So I really appreciate um, that and I feel like we're, we're doing a great job um, working together and that um, sometimes uh, what I see on social media is that people think that we don't necessarily support each other and that we should buy black more often, we should do this, we should do that. But what I'm seeing in, in Montreal is that people do support each other, but we just have to expend more our, our resent and like mm. reach out mm -hmm. to people that we don't usually reach out and things like that. But if Racine is uh, still alive, it's because of, uh, first of all, queer people yes. <laughs> and black and brown women. So without queer, black and brown people, there wouldn't be no Racine. Oh my goodness. Um, there wouldn't be a lot of things. Oh yeah, yeah. seriously. Oh my god, it's like it, it's like the bees. I'm like, when yeah. the bees leave, we're we're done. And I kind of, mm -hmm. I like, I feel that way about like black queer people. I'm yeah. like, literally, just we'd be gone. Um, you, you're you're entering us into um, one of the next topics that I wanted to think about was um, this idea of expansion and and what needs to be what still needs to be done. Um, I think that you, the way that you talk about it, Shanice, is really beautiful, this idea that we've we've been doing for a really long time. And in a lot of ways, yes, it is revolutionary what we're doing now, but there ha there is a legacy of it. Um, but I guess my, my question is, um, or I, I try to reflect on where is it that we need more voices? Where is it that we need more makers? Um, and is there like an aspect of the resistance where it's, that is being neglected, like what spaces or um, people or topics that we're not touching on because cause sometimes that's what happens in movements, right? There's certain things that um, get in, get onto this wave, but what happens with like the rest of um, the rest of the ocean, you know? So uh, is there anything that you guys have in your hearts that feel um, should get more light at this moment? Uh, one thing that's coming to mind in this moment, um, Al Jones uh, wrote a status the other day, maybe yesterday, I'm not sure, time is weird, um, wrote a status about uh, honoring our elders that really spoke, spoke to me, and, and, I, and she was kind of discussing it in the context of um, a lot of emphasis and, and focus very understandably that we that we put when we're talking about like black youth and so she was really inviting us to think about our black elders and how we are um, I mean not just including them which is like the bare minimum but how are we like centering them and thinking about their contributions both like past and present and future as well you know and I think about like how much we have to learn um, as young people and younger people mm -hmm. um, and I don't always feel like there's a lot of space uh, for listening and for reflection 
Um, and I think that's also connected to like the feeling of, of, you know, always having to be fighting and going and, and that there isn't always like space for the rest. And I think about like, what would it look like to come back to that, to be able to like slow down and to reconnect with each other and to bring in our elders um, and to just, yeah, give them the space that they, that they deserve, have earned, are entitled to. Um, Cause I think we have so much to learn from them and I don't always feel like we, we do a great job of, of one, letting them know that and then like putting, putting the, or energy into making sure that they're there and, and in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's really, I mean, I, I'm in the middle of an intergenerational, I'm pulled in so many generations. I, um, I have a very young son and my mom is, um, is an elder. And it's it, one of the things that I've, realizes that you know um i think about is that we kind of we glorify the the growing of of my baby boy you know like he is like everyone's like so excited about all the new things he do does and the changing that he goes through and all of that it's like every moment is this like spark right but um but we have so many unresolved issues with aging and seeing that process happen i i, I like i remember um seeing you know the the shift because my my mom's quite a bit older than me she had me when um she was 46 and so you know I was born into this um uh, space in her life where she was so active and very very busy and doing and a lot of that groundwork and etc and then i've seen her age and um her participation in community change her um her mind change her relationships change and etc and i remember when it started happening how much resistance i had to that how much difficulty I had in understanding this new role and this growing and um, and I feel like part of the reasons why we um, alienate our elders is because we're so afraid of aging mm. and so afraid of like what um, that looks like like what yeah like what knowledges are and we, we're almost we don't know how to translate that knowledge in a lot of ways like because we don't live in communities in the same way that we used to mm. um, and how like stories are told and etc and it's been really um beautiful and helpful for me to have my son because he's taught me so much about understanding my mom like it's like a whole new world of um love and care and really understanding that he is way more capable of translating her knowledge than i am um yeah and so i definitely think about it and like when i think about it, including elders i also think about how youth and elders have a way better and more um, connected relationship than we do with either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, yeah. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I really agree with what you said, Shanice, and I'm thinking about, I mean, the importance of all the commemorations that are happening this year, of uh, the 50 years since the George Williams affair, and I often think about, I mean, what would it look like to have conversations with the people that were part of that, with the Haitian taxi drivers that were part of the strikes, with, you know, the huge levels of black mobilizing that was happening in the 1980s after Anthony Griffin was killed. Mm -hmm. There are so many parts of our collective history, um, mm -hmm. you know, and generations of people that are still alive and in many cases still living in Montreal. And I think so much about the... Obviously, you know, there's really there are some really important generational past downs, but what would it mean to really prioritize that 
yeah. really prioritize that kind of knowledge building. Um, something else that I think that we so often, I mean, I'm seeing this again. I was just talking with Majiza Philip, right, who's, um, mm. you know, the black the black woman, uh, chef, just an incredible person who had her arm broken um, by the police in 2014, who's still trying to raise, I mean, just $10,000, right, in, mm-hmm. in this attempt to, to counter uh, police violence. I think that we spend so much uh, energy often thinking about the experiences. I mean, I talk about this in my written work often of young black men as sort of the, the face of what racism looks like. And that means that, you know, stories like Majiza Phillip don't make national news and don't sort of get that kind of attention, which means that, you know, there's GoFundMes that go on for months and we don't see the kind of outpouring of support that really very much, you know, this incredible young black woman deserves, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a way in which both our communities and broader society really need to uh, refocus and and pivot and hold on to, um, you know, black women, black, including uh, trans women and also, you know, gender nonconforming people as well. These people that um, don't fit into that sort of historical framework of the ways that we've been taught to think about, you know, who's a black activist or who's, um, you know, being harmed by different kinds of state oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that um, I also I, th- I appreciate you bringing that up. Robin, because I feel like one of um, I think that one of the aspects that I see that people having a hard time uh, engaging with is um, I think particularly in the Canadian context, because our like our understanding of state and our understanding of um, kind of these systems is different than um in the united states i I don't know what other qualification to put it but um i think that yeah like when people hear about like these like um trials and like how to uh, put money towards helping people um get legal services and etc i feel like there's there's a bit of resistance or misunderstanding there where people are like much more um you know enthusiastic about supporting a black owned bookstore or supportive um like of black content but don't necessarily feel as comfortable um or understand the their role in helping people like navigate these systems of oppression um yeah like that's that's one of the things that i've been thinking about and trying to talk about with my my community around me like my family members and um just other community members as well of just like what is this resistance to um, help people fight the system, right? I think that there's like a fear there, and I understand that fear because we've, you know, we've been. It's um, it's definitely learned, you know. It's learned. It's like you're not supposed to to go against the legal system, but um, how is how like how could we help each other um, get past that fear, and and so we're able to do that transformation. Mm-hmm. Who wants to go? <laughs> you go. Oh, so much. I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm so inspiring by, inspired by what you're saying that I'm, like, taking mental notes. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And um, I feel particularly touched by what you said about the, the, the elders mm. because the, I feel like there's not a lot of events that I could take both my mom and my my child <laughs> with mm-hmm. me, and um, mm-hmm. like Anik said, it's um, we we have so much to learn by f- from our kids and from our 
from our elders. So Absolutely. that's the the first thing I would like to say. And also, could you repeat the last part of the question you just asked? I'm going to try to answer. I guess it's like how when we're trying to fight these larger systems or these like, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, the law or the you know or education like in the sense of like formal education from the like white supremacist system um i think there's like a f like a fear to engage with that like outside because like, i think activists like the so the co like core activists in black communities are definitely doing that work and that's not the issue but it's like when you go away from that when you go like when i go home to my family members or etc people who are not engaged on a daily on that level there's like a resistance to um challenge systems right there's like mm -hmm. a certain amount of like i they there's an understanding that this is oppressive but there's like a fear to counter it Um, and I guess that that's my question. It's like, how do we help people get past that fear or understand that, um, you know, if you give money to help someone's like legal costs, like you're not a criminal, <laughs> I guess, is, is some of the, the feelings that I, I see in the community. This mm -hmm. like this fear to participate in these uprooting things, especially if they don't necessarily identify as these larger like activists or community mm -hmm. workers or et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, but first first of all, the fear is very justified because the the in history we see that most people that uh, stand up and want to do legal legal uh, things to get justice they have they get a lot of uh, uh, how do I say that repression oh, the consequence yeah. mm -hmm. so they get a lot of consequence so the, there's this fear of uh, um, from like my my the generation from my parents and and things like that they're always like just do you become etc mm -hmm. just try to live your your life because they they suffered a lot they, and like every time they try to speak up they, it was hard for for them so i they internalize a lot of a lot of fear i think that maybe with uh, education by showing them like if we're here it's because of pioneers that fought like industry but also in the courtroom mm. that change a, a lot of, of things mm -hmm. and that like there's a lot of like just like Racine that opened because a lot of people like pitch in together I think like we need a fund to support people like my Maija sorry mm -hmm. because If she wins, everybody wins, and exactly. people need to understand that it's yeah. like it's not. People see it as an, an individual fight, mm -hmm. but she's doing that for everybody. It's for everybody. People see a, a black woman, and they're they're like afraid to put it on the news, and they feel like it, it doesn't touch everybody, but it it touches everybody. Mm -hmm. Every win in in the courtroom have an impact on all Quebec so we have to <laughs> at this way <laughs> so we have to to support her because it's gonna have an impact for everybody she's one of us also mm -hmm. and not just us like black people she's she's a Montrealer also like yeah. everybody should, su should, su yeah. should support her definitely thank you for naming that yeah mm -hmm. tears in my eyes um Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think about like 
two things I'm thinking about. One, um, connecting back to education and that idea of like fear or um, what what like immobilizes people from acting. I think about that a lot, and particularly in the context of like activism, like TM, you know, like whatever it is, like whatever that looks like. And again, it's so subjective. But I think we've again thinking about narrative we've created like this this single narrative of what it means to be an activist Mm -hmm. or what it means to be engaged or involved and i think that's that's been really detrimental and that it's it's um it's hindered people from from feeling like they have a place and that they have a say and i and i think there's education to be done there as well for um people and those of us who who are kind of claiming that title of activist or educator, or have um, power in different contexts, like that we're making sure that we're bringing people in, and that we're not kind of creating like new hierarchies um, when it comes to something like fighting for justice. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there for me, I'm just like there are pa- there's power in numbers, and so why to like that feeling that there are so many of us and yet people are feeling immobilized to me is not is not a an issue on the part of the people, but more so on like the structures that have not enabled them to come forward mm-hmm. and to feel like they have a place. And, and so I think about that as well in my education work, like what am I doing to, to one, meet people where they're at, but then also check myself to remind myself that I have so much work and learning to do. And so I think there's, there's an element of, of, um, yeah, just for forgetting that and forgetting that we're all coming from different places and that everyone has something different to contribute. And I don't think that we honor that, honor that enough um and then i also think about you know when we think about activism we think about like big a or capital a activism and i think about what is it or what could it look like to um kamala mackerel talks about keeping it local and the importance of keeping it local and so what does it look like to to enact change where you are and uh, we had a panel event on monday and professor philip howard he spoke about how for him and his work, it's about like, what can he do in his particular context to end black suffering Mm -hmm. and like in his space, you know, the spaces that he's navigating. And I think about like the need for us to, to turn inwards in those ways and to, to start local and to think about how we can like support and impact the people who are around us and in our communities. Um, and starting small, you know, I think there's a lot of fear about like, how do I save the world today? And um, yeah, starting starting where you are and with yourself, I think is is really necessary. For sure. Yeah. Um, where time is flying by. Always. <laughs> Always. Mm-hmm. It is um, 2.53 p.m. And you're listening to CKT 90.3 FM for those who are just tuning in. Um, but I guess one of the things that, we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but one of the things that I think about um, is how we can be like help in mediation as well and um, or facilitating more is actually what I was thinking about. Yeah, you do an amazing job of this, Shanice, um, in, the t- in the sense of like how you call people to fundraise. So um, I was thinking about what it means. What's the difference between somebody sending... Um, $20 to you directly that you then send to um, the, the, a person or an organization mm-hmm. or et cetera versus them doing it on a GoFundMe page. And um, I think that even that simple act of having to fill in your name, I know that there's like an anonymous option, but you mm-hmm. still need to like fill in a certain amount of your information 
makes people feel nervous yeah. you know like there's certain there's like a certain amount of having to reveal yourself to the world mm-hmm. that n- mm-hmm. not everyone in our community is ready to do right um or has to do like mm-hmm. it's like it, i don't even feel like it should be uh, necessary and so when i see you do your fundraising i i really appreciate that because i'm like that's it's so different and it's like and we could you know we could see each other on the street i could just slide you a 20 and that would be that, Absolutely. right? And that's a way to participate. There's so many levels in which yeah. we can engage. And I'm not taking a cut. <laughs> and she's not taking no, a cut. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's like so important. And I feel like each of you have created these um, like spaces in the in the like larger sense of it of like ways in which we can engage that are not so. Um, that don't necessarily require people to kind of call themselves an activist or mm-hmm. have to uh, reveal themselves to the public or et cetera. You know what I mean? It's like, I could just go to like, I don't need to sign up on Amazon that tracks all of my <laughs> spending or et cetera. And like say mm-hmm. that I'm buying these like revolutionary books. Cause what does that mean? Like our data is in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It, like it has a whole impact. Um, and I really love the way that you guys each facilitate that in the world so um yeah i guess that that's what i wanted to finish on we about have about four more minutes so if you guys have anything that you wanted to kind of shout out this would be the time cool i do you want to go first gabriella um i just like to say support uh, my jeff phillips yes did i say yeah yeah support um if you have money of course donate i think there's a show coming soon mm-hmm. yeah so check that yeah. out on, on stay tuned yeah, I think st- check 21st. that out on facebook mm-hmm. or if you don't have money just share the event yes. or write a few words of support i think there's a lot of way to support if it's not just money mm-hmm. so, yeah and if yeah. you google majiza philip go fund me mm-hmm. just to say in case you do have money you'll find the link right there mm-hmm. i was just checking yeah. So do sure. feel free anybody to, mm-hmm. to support Definitely. with that. Yeah, totally. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll share two things. So one, I'm I'm still fundraising. I'm raising money for a single black mom and her baby. Um, well, he's six. That's still a baby. <laughs> still um, baby. <laughs> yeah, and so for me, that's like such a clear example of keeping it local. And people have just been so generous. I think we're a little bit over thirteen hundred dollars now. Oh my gosh, amazing! Which is really like. 48 hours that's fundraising so it's it's really awesome to know that i can just bring this this mama some money um and then community and family day is happening on sunday so this is an event you can bring your mom and your baby too. yes i'll be there gabriella will be there with racines (laughs) at the table so i'm really encouraging everyone to come out and to bring their moms and their grandmas and their aunties and their babies yes um, don't leave them behind don't leave our people behind it's 10 to 5 so it's the whole day season dreams is catering (laughs) oh oh it's gonna be a lot of fun (laughs) oh forget about it so come i really want to just have the room full of black people amazing robin any last words sorry what was that any last words well, I'll be in Montreal February 21st to 24th for a few events, and I hope to see some of you out there. That is so exciting. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to it. So. I right. leave on the twenty um, second, so I will see you on the twenty first. Oh, I don't the, care. Yeah, that's gonna happen. <laughs> Amazing. Thank Amazing. you guys. Thank you so much. It is two fifty eight. You're listening to the Groundbreakers on CKUT ninety point three FN. I'm gonna leave you guys on one more track called Ligba from Riva Nairi Priscil. Enjoy y'all. All right. Thanks so much, love.